Well, I took some allergy medicine this morning so I wouldn't, my eyes wouldn't water and I could read the scriptures. And then uh, Jerry and Lauren saying how deep the Father's love for us. And I can never hear or sing that song that I don't get wet-eyed. But I do invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Need uh, help in knowing where that is? It's right before Second Peter, so I'm sure that zeroes it in for you. But our, our theme this morning as we consider to look at this whole issue of being world Christians is First Peter chapter 2, which is a book that is written to resident aliens, that is, citizens of the kingdom of God who also hold citizenship in this world, who are scattered all about it, with a distinct identity and a distinct direction in life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to simply focus on verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy, but now you have. In very chaotic and troublesome times, a, a deeply disturbed in the sense of his inner being being disturbed man, went out into the evening for a long, reflective walk. It was the dead of winter. Snow covered the landscape, and it was very cold, and the man tucked his face down into his top coat, and the darkness and the, the cold reflected the, the temperature of his inner being. These had been difficult times for him. He, he, in recent days, had experienced a lot of disappointment, and the margins had gone out of his life, and it seemed that people and things were tugging at him from every direction, and so much activity and yet so little satisfaction. And he thought about the, the writing of, of a certain poet who said that men past 40 lie awake at nights and stare outside at city lights and wonder where it's all gone and why is life so long? Where were the hopes and the dreams that he had had in previous years, and maybe it was because it was so dark or because the, the snow obliterated familiar landmarks, or it was just his gloomy reverie, but the man lost in his thoughts, ambled into the darkness and got completely off course and failed to recognize even the, the no trespassing signs that would appear periodically in the, the wire fencing. And then suddenly he was jolted into awareness there's a bright light flashed upon him and a, and a menacing voice said, Come no further. And the voice continued, Who are you? And where are you going? The man was frozen in his tracks and confusion and fear painted his face. Then he stood there for a moment. And the confusion kind of subsided and a, a glimmer of awareness appeared. And, 
And the frozen face of fear melted into the faintest of smiles. Who am I? Where am I going? He mused out loud. You know, I have forgotten who I am. And I did not remember where I was going, but you, sir, have reminded me. And with your permission, I, I want to return to the place where I wandered off course. And I do ask that if I forget again who I am and where I'm going, could I come back and could you ask me those questions once more? Who are you? The question of identity. Where are you going? The question of destiny or or direction. Two crucial, compelling questions that each of us must ask and then we navigate our lives on the basis of our answers. But it is so easy to drift off course. Who are you? Well, this passage speaks to those questions. Two verses. And they directly address those crucial and compelling questions. Who are you? Well, what does this passage say? It says, first of all, that you were chosen by God. You know, rather than being an accidental fly speck on the window pane of the universe, consider Saul, uh, Isaiah or Psalm 139, where, where we read these words about ourselves. The psalmist reflects on who we are as created by God. He says, you know, you knew me before I was born. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You are familiar with all my ways. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Who are you? You are chosen by God. And this passage says you are royalty. You are royal priesthood. The first thing we learn in the Bible about who we are is that, that we were created to have a special relationship with the Creator. You are meant to be royalty. Now, true it is that, that we all want to become the kings of our own lives and somewhere en route to the palace, we, we wander off into a bad neighborhood. And we are lost. But the Scripture says that the king came down into the neighborhood and he paid the price to enable us to recognize who we really are meant to be. As 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, But we are coming to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though He were rich, became poor, that through His poverty we, who were poor, could become rich toward God. Who are you? Well, you are royalty and you are chosen by God. And this passage says you are a very person of God. And each of us who has come to embrace the Savior and find our true identity in Him, we are His people. We have that special family relationship with God. So that's who you are. You are beloved and chosen and holy before God. Quit defining your identity by your accomplishments, by your reputation, by your performance, by your job. Those things are are transitory and tricky at best, as we're learning these days. Step up to a higher level and embrace your identity in Christ. That's who you are. In Christ. Now, where are you going? Well, this passage speaks to that also. And we understand it's so easy to forget who we are. And it is so easy to drift south from true north. And what is true north 
for a child of God. What does the scripture say? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now, how and to whom do we declare His praises? Well, that takes us to the great story that informs our little stories. And it points back 4,000 years when, when God, with intentionality, moves in the direction of a, a desert nomad, nomad named Abram. And he calls Abram into a personal relationship and to follow him. And he changes his name to Abraham. And then he says, Abraham, here's my plan. Here's your life direction. I'm going to give you a boy, you and Sarah. By the way, did I mention that Abraham was 75 years of age? And Sarah was sort of long in the tooth also. So God said, I'm going to give you a boy and through your family, I am going to create a people who will bless the entire world. And so Abraham goes home and he tells Sarah that that God said he's going to give them a, a child through whom he will bless the world. And Sarah, in great faith, falls over her walker and rolls on the floor in laughter. <laughs> And 25 years later, God does give Abraham and Sarah a boy, and they name him Isaac, which, by the way, means laughter. See, God has a sense of humor, but it was no joke. He was serious that he intended to call the people to himself and bless them, that through those blessed people, he would bless the world. And so fast forward or slow forward 1,500 years uh, into history in our direction. And now those very people, the descendants of Abraham, are slaves doing back-breaking labor in Egypt. But God is hanging around. And He draws alongside a fugitive from justice named Moses, not Rollo, but Moses in the Old Testament. And He calls Moses and He gives him a very simple assignment. He says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the most powerful ruler on the planet. By the way, that's the same empire from which Moses had been hiding out for 40 years. I want you to go to the Pharaoh and I want you to simply say, God has told me to tell you to let your entire workforce set them free. Well, Moses says, are you kidding? But he goes. And Pharaoh didn't think it was quite so humorous either. He said, is this some kind of joke as he whistles for his army and his artillery? But you never thwart the ultimate purposes of God. And it is not long before one million slaves are marching through the parted Red Sea into the wilderness, into freedom. And God feeds them along the way. Now, they were like a lot of us consumers. They really complained a lot about the lack of choices on the menu and the fact that they couldn't go back and get seconds. But God provided for them and they come to a mountain. And there God says to them, in the 19th chapter of Exodus, words that, considering what we just read, sound very familiar. He says, I've, I've, I've set you free and I've brought you to this place because I want you to know that you are beloved of me. And I'm going to make of you my very own people and I will bless you so that through you I can bless my world. Well, though the people were Eastern in their ethnicity, there seemed to be a little bit of Western culture in them because they got the I will bless you part. But they completely missed 
I will make you a blessing. And so they kind of hung around at the blessing factory. And uh, they waited for the celestial candy man to give them more goodies. And they talked about how special they were in the midst of all those non-special people. They just didn't get it. And, and ultimately, Jesus comes into the neighborhood. And he pays the price to call us to himself. And then, do you remember the day when you responded? Or have you? When, so, when suddenly you understood how deep the Father's love was for you, and you confessed your need for Him and invited Him into your life, you embraced the Savior, and you found your identity as the beloved of God, and God sings His 4,000-year song to you. I have blessed you. You are beloved and chosen of me, that I can through you bless my world. Do we get it either? Last Sunday, Scott concluded our series on, on life's healing choices by reminding us that when we experience the healing, the wholeness, and the hope of what God is doing in our lives, that we are immediately to turn and share the message with others. That we're not to be like the Dead Sea, you know, that has no outlet, and uh, water flows into it but doesn't flow out. So nothing lives there. It is dead. But instead, we're to be like the Sea of Galilee or the Jordan River where water flows in and water flows out. It becomes an outlet for the life-giving message of God. That's the way we're to be. Now, if you're tired of that Dead Sea analogy that Scott gave us, Luis Palau has another analogy. He says that Christians are like manure. You pile us all together in one place for very long and we stink up the neighborhood. But if you spread us around, we fertilize the world. And things grow. And something beautiful happens. So which are we? <clears throat> so how do we develop a heart for the world? How do we become world Christians? Well, first of all, we have to do the very thing that God did with Abraham and Moses. We have to walk in a continuous love relationship with Him as we've come to know Him in the face of Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, God changes our character. That's what happened to Abraham. That's what happened to Moses. Over 25 years, Abraham, God made Abraham the kind of dad who could... Raise a family to bless the world. And over 40 years, God made Moses the kind of leader who could lead a people who could bless the world. And in time, as we walk in a love relationship with Jesus, He works on our character. And not only that, our heart begins to beat with God's heart. And when we hang out with God that much, we cannot help but love our world. And then we want to become informed, as we have this morning we want to begin to pray about what we learn regularly and, and seriously. And we want to seek opportunities to do short-term mission trips, which we may have the opportunity to do with the Russian partnership that is, that is on the horizon. And we want to give. What a privilege to take some of that money which we have used to consume things that are perishable to actually make a sacrificial, generous gift to support missions around the world. But here's the thing I want us to remember. 
We cannot support missions unless we are on mission. In the traffic patterns of our daily lives, we get local and then we become global or global. How do we do that? Leon Hurley, celebrating that 40th anniversary, uh, I know where Leon was September 11, 2001 or shortly thereafter. He was at Ground Zero where he had led feeding units from Florida to feed those rescuers and the rescued. In New York City with the Twin Towers disaster, I know Mike Kaczmarek, who was a New York City fireman in the past, made a very personal and emotional trip there. And at a time when the nation experienced disaster and everything was up for grabs and there was great disorientation, a number of Christ followers woke up to who we are and where we need to be going. And I remember there was a group from South Carolina who specifically went up to Manhattan to clean apartments in the areas that were immediately surrounding the Twin Towers. You can imagine that horrible holocaust that all kinds of things blew through their windows. Fax machines, concrete, and God only knows what else. And there they were grieving over the loss of family and friends and disoriented and troubled. And, and their apartments were uninhabitable and they were on waiting list to spend hundreds of dollars to get their apartments cleaned. And a group of followers of Jesus went up there at their own expense, knelt and served and cleaned their apartments. And you can only imagine that frequently the question was asked, why are you guys up here and why are you doing this? And those Christ followers from the Carolinas did not forget who they were and where they were going. They were able to say in many conversations, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I serve him by serving you because that's what he came to do. And how do I become a world Christian? in the traffic pattern of this one and only life I am living today in these chaotic times, I kneel and I serve in Jesus' name. I seek to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within me to do so with grace and with courtesy. Who is your mission? I want us to uh, be reflective for a moment, and so I'd like to ask you to take that little card out that that's inserted in your worship bulletin. And this is a good time to pray with your eyes open, but do more listening than talking to God. And allow the Spirit of God who draws beside us and is here in this place today, who has exposed us to many kinds of messages and media and, and opportunities in multiple languages and cultures, to speak into our hearts and get our focus off ourselves. We gather at the gathering place today to be equipped and to be called to scatter to the mission field where God has placed each of us. Would you for a moment reflect on this card and ask God to reveal to you what you should give for the work of mission this year? As we take this one, mission, this one offering to support world mission for a year, what figure would God lay on your heart? And make sure you're not fudging. Be open. Don't hinder what God may want to say to you about generosity. I will pray. Visit these stations as you leave today. Pick up a 
puzzle. Read the information. Have some face time with some of these wonderful people this morning. And commit to pray regularly for them. Prayer. As, as Rollo said, you would not want to go in enemy territory, territory without prayer cover. And that includes us for one another. As we go to our marketplace mission fields. And I will serve. Can you do a little mental prayer walk through your neighborhood, in your workplace? Ask God to call up the faces of people you know, whom He loves, who may depend on you to serve them, that they may know that He loves them. And could you commit to the omission in the relational traffic pattern of your life? And perhaps you want to fill in, I'm interested in a short-term mission trip. And then sign your name. Now, if this requires some more serious reflection, take this home, but bring it back next week. Fill it out in obedience to what your gracious God, who has given you a new identity and called you to a special relationship with Him, has led you to do. It will change our lives. Now, if you're here today, and you've heard these prayers, and you've, you've sung of the grace of God, and you've You've looked into God's Word, and you have yet, personally, to commit your life to Jesus as the one and only Savior who can forgive your sins, who can begin to do His work of healing and hope in you, who can give you eternal life and abundant life right now. What a God-given moment you have been graced with today to be here. And please, do not leave this place. Well, that opening up your heart like a flower to receive sunshine and rain and receive Christ. Share that on the, the tear off the connection card. But don't leave without considering that commitment. I want to pray for you. And then Dana will come and then we will move to worship through giving and we can turn in these cards. Lord, this has been a very special moment where we've stood in the sunshine of your awesome love for us. And for a world, thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you. Lord, we pray for these countries and those who are going that truly you would answer our prayers and lives will be brought into the kingdom. And that missionaries will be encouraged because of our worship and prayers today. Father, may we respond to how you have spoken to us in worship. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.